From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, camper, RV, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you tuning us in on one of our fine affiliate stations across North America. Incidentally, for a list of affiliates, you can go to my website, strangeplanet.ca. Hey, you, all of you checking out The Conspiracy Show on The Conspiracy Show app, which is a free download. And, of course, those of you listening and or watching on our YouTube channel. Wherever and however you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Brandon Henderson and his mom, Lisa, are here for the duration. Brandon was addicted to opioids for many years and heroin. Finally arrested in 2010. He was facing a lengthy prison sentence. His mother, however, had a vision that the uh, the judge would show mercy and uh, send him back to uh, rehab. And it played out exactly that way. And uh, it was a year, spending a year at Dunklin Christian Recovery Program that he was finally able to heal. This hour, your phone calls, if you've ever been healed through what you believe is a divine intervention, a supernatural means, a miracle, or you've witnessed such a miracle or healing, we'd love to hear from you. Again, 416-360-0740. Toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Toll-free. So, Lisa, when you look out over your congregation, you and your husband, pastors in Florida, do you have any, given the statistics, any sense of how many people sitting in those pews might actually be addicted to opioids? I don't know that we have any personally right now. In our church, we do have a lot of recovered alcoholics, and we do have some past drug addicts. But as we travel and speak in churches, I can't give you the exact percentage, but there's a lot. There are a lot of people sitting on the pews that are addicted to painkillers. And what makes it so challenging is because it's doctor prescribed. They don't look at their addiction the same as they looked at Brandon's addiction heroin. You know, he was using an illegal drug. He's shooting it up. And a lot of times in our minds, we, we look at that differently and we justify our addiction because it was prescribed by a doctor. But there is a high percentage of people sitting in congregations that are addicted to painkillers. Right, right. Now, we should say, at least I want to say, that there are people with chronic pain who would not be able to function without some of this medication. I mean, it's... Is that reasonable to say? I mean, I think it is. I think that it's reasonable to say that they wouldn't be able to function without some kind of treatment. Does that mean it has to be opiates? I think that each case is, is unique and has to be looked at that way. I don't think that opiates is the answer for all chronic pain. I mean, that's what they did for me, and that's what they do for a lot of people, and it ends up being, you know, it may not end up the way that it ended for me, but I, I personally know several people in church right now who started out with same type of thing, older generation, uh, pain, you know, pain in their back, got on opiates. Now they're not abusing it like I was, but they can't live without it, not because of the pain, but because if they go without it, they end up dope sick. And, uh, you know, that's a hard thing for them to admit because they don't want to say I'm addicted to anything because they feel like, you know, there's big negative connotation, like they did something wrong. But the fact is, that's the way the drug is designed. It actually makes your body chemically dependent on it so that when you don't have it, in the absence of it, you become sick. The pain is increased because that's part of dope sickness. 
there are better ways in most cases to treat pain than opiates. I know, Brendan, that you experimented with pot, but how do you how do you both feel about medical marijuana? As far as medical marijuana, I think that it is a better option than uh, opiates. You know, a lot of people might not agree with me. I think that it has to be warranted and something that they would have to pray about and, and weigh out for themselves. I think it is definitely a lot less evil than opiates. Lisa, do you have an opinion? I agree with them. I'm careful, you know, even with that. And I realize, though, that, you know, it, that it is a leaf and that, you know, it can be used as a medical substance. And I think it would definitely have to be weighed out and, um, you know, prayed over. It certainly doesn't have the addictive qualities that the opiates do. When Brandon was going through his addiction, I began to research because as a parent, you just start looking for everything you can get your hands on, ways to help them, you know, what's, what's driving this, what's going on. And it is designed. It is designed to form an addiction. They know that. The pharmaceutical company knows that. It's a billion-dollar-a-year industry, and it's just really scary. I think that with medical marijuana, it comes down to what your motives are. So if you truly have an issue that you need treatment for, then absolutely. You know, medicine is a good thing when used properly, and, and we're smart about it, and whether that's pot or whatever it is. But if your motivation is, oh, now it's legal, so now I have a reason to use it, to, oh, well, you know, I got depression, so I'm going to use pot. Well, I don't think that that's okay. You're not actually dealing with anything. So, Brandon, you're fully recovered now, right? Yes. I mean, addicts always say that, you know, you're, you're an addict forever. You're in recovery for the rest of your life. Is that true in your case? Or when you undergo this sort of through this Christian rejuvenation process, do you feel like you're 100% healed? You can say, I am no longer an addict. Man, I really was hoping that you were going to ask this question because this is my soapbox. Yeah, I really hate when people label addiction as a disease that is not curable. And the reason I hate it is because science has proven, just like I was talking about, that you can renew the mind. Even if you can't, there's a supernatural element. God can heal things that can't be healed, so there is that. But whenever you condemn somebody and you say, all right, you're an addict, you have a disease for life, you've just condemned them to death, and you've taken all hope they have away from them. You told them you're always going to be an addict. No matter what you do, no matter how long you have clean, you're always going to be an addict. So what happens to this person who's been told they're always an addict, who's poly addicted to every single substance because that's what they teach you in in traditional schools? It's all day by day. You're a day away from returning to your old miserable self. So what happens when that person has a beer? Well, then in their mind, that lie kicks in. Well, you know, I'm an addict and I just returned and wasted all my time. So a lot of times that one beer at that moment turns into I'm off to the races. Why? Because you've already condemned them to that behavior. I don't believe that at all. I believe that I am healed and I believe that people can be healed. And it's been demonstrated in my life. Whenever I have had a beer since then, I haven't been off to the races and did that and fallen back into that. You know, I think abstinence is the best idea, though. Right, right. Now, Lisa, well, either of you can answer this, I suppose, but there are a lot of attorney generals now in, in various states who are who are going after these drug companies. What's going on in Florida? Do you know whether the, uh, the attorney general there, are they launching a case? I'm not sure if they're launching a case. I know that our governor cracked down on the pill mills. When Brandon had his addiction, it was so easy to just go up and down Interstate 95, Interstate 75. People were coming in from Tennessee, Ohio, um, other states, Kentucky, Alabama, 
to come up and down our interstate and just get huge uh, prescriptions of these pills. Um, since then, they've made it more difficult, um, and they've cracked down on that issue. And I'm hoping that they will begin to go after the pharmaceutical companies because, really, that that's where it started. The way it used to be, whenever I was in my addiction, I would go to every doctor shop in Fort Lauderdale when I went to Miami to pick up pills. And I'd take my friends with me, and I'd get half of their scripts, and that's how, you know, things led the way they did. You know, there's a lot of stuff in this story that, that we haven't covered, but it got really bad. Um, now there is a tracking system in place in Florida, but we want more. We want there, uh, we want more to be talked about. We want to offer hope to people who are in shoes like I was in who felt like there was no hope because when I was in that particular place, there wasn't a lot of people standing up saying, hey, I've been through what you're going through, and I made it out the other side. I got my family back. I have a life, and it's a beautiful life. After the addiction, you can too. Let me show you the way and take these people by the hand and walk them out of that dark room that they're stuck in. So after your recovery, your healing, let's say, after your full healing, I mean, now you have a criminal record. How do you get on with your life when, you know, other people are looking at you and saying, well, okay, so you're off opioids, but, you know, you've got a criminal record? Man, that is something that can only be explained as supernatural favor of God. I came out of uh, Dunklin, and that's the first thing that I was worried about. I'm not going to be able to jog because I'm a convicted felon. i got all these other misdemeanors on my, on my record. There's no way that anybody's going to give me a shot. Uh, I went out on a limb and put in an application with Best Buy and went in and told the manager my story, you know, kind of hanging my head down, just being open and honest with him, like, please give me a shot. And uh, he's like, yeah, we'll hire you, but, you know, he doesn't have full control of that. There's human resources and company policies that are in place that could prevent it. There was red flags, but God somehow got me through all the red flags and uh, got me into the company. I started out. I had a part-time job making $9 an hour and working like 10 hours a week. I had, when I went into Dunklin', I lost everything. I lost my furniture, my house, you know, because it got so bad that I gave everything away in my drug addiction at the end. You know, it went from being this big guy who was selling all these pills to this really bad junkie who lost everything to the bottom of the bottom. So I had a part-time job with nothing, $9 an hour, and God began to promote me and just give me favor with the management there, and eventually I ended up with my own store as a general manager with Best Buy. Amazing. All right, Brandon, sorry, i got to jump in again. We'll uh, pick it up on the other side. Lisa and Brandon Henderson with their remarkable story, Opioid Addiction and Supernatural Recovery. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Lisa Brandon Henderson here with this remarkable story, Opioid Addiction and Supernatural Recovery. Uh, I just want you to finish up on that, that story before we go to the phone calls, uh, Brandon. So you, you came out of uh, Dunklin' Christian Recovery thinking, oh my, okay, so I'm off opioids, but no one will ever hire me. I have a, a rap sheet as long as my arm. Uh, and you said God started to promote you. You, you got a, a part-time job at a Best Buy, and eventually you ended up managing your own store. Is that right? Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, and, and what's so amazing about God is he will give you way more than you ever thought was possible. And that's exactly what happened with me. 
yeah, I went from having lost everything to now I have several investment properties. Um, I've actually been able to step away from Best Buy at this point to where I'll, this all I do is itinerant speaking, uh, interviews like this, and my real estate. Um, but that was like not even fathomable for me when I was coming at it up, and I just couldn't see that as possible because of that rap sheet. But God's like, man, I loved you so much. And, and it's not just me. He loves us all that much. He's just sitting there waiting to pour his love out on us. You start making one decision that's right after the other, and he'll promote you. And that's what happened to me. He started opening doors that no way anybody would. Are you kidding me? I was uh, I was running a multi-million-dollar business for this Fortune 500 company. Had keys to the safe, codes to the store, and here I am with this rap sheet and this you know convict convicted felony uh, on my record. That's that's only the favor of God. There's no way that doesn't happen with the logic of man. Did you ever meet that judge again? I did not. Actually, he faced his own charges because he was uh, colluding with the state attorney to really mm-hmm. send innocent people and other people who they didn't have very much information on uh, to jail as well as being too hard on people. So I uh, never got to meet him again. Well, that's, so that's interesting. more of a- that's even more of a supernatural twist right there. Yes. Because here's this hard judge who gives my son mercy. Exactly. I was just going to say that. <laughs> uh, let's say hi to Melvin. He's in Hamilton, Illinois. Melvin, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Good morning to you, sir. Uh, I was blessed to be in. It's hard for me to talk, but I know this lady that, in her 80s now, I think she was in her 60s when she had an operation up in Iowa City, Iowa, at a university hospital. She died. They uh, wanted to, they had a toe tag on her. The doctors wanted her husband to sign a paper so they could uh, harvest her organs, and he wouldn't do it. She came back to life. She was room temperature, they said. She got the paper from the doctors that took care of her. So I just want to let you know miracles are still happening. That's remarkable. Do you know how long she was clinically dead before she came Uh, back? No. But obviously she was declared dead. She had a toe tag. They were getting ready to harvest her organs. All right, I think we lost Melvin. Still, a remarkable story. Lisa and uh, Brandon, did you want to comment on that before we uh, move along? My parents got a very close story to that. Well, we had a guy in our church who was uh, brain dead. That they had yeah, but for eight hours, a guy in our church was uh, in a four-wheeler accident, was brain dead for eight hours. They had him on life support. Uh, his family called us in, and my husband prayed for him, and he came back from the dead. Eight hours? Eight hours. No brain damage? Came back with no brain damage. Oh, my. He's a member of your church? He was a member of... His parents were a member ah. of our church. Now, your husband, Ken, it sounds like he was not... I mean, he was convinced from the get-go that, that nothing bad was going to happen to you, Brandon, Every time he called you, he called you a man of God and said, you're not going to die. God has a plan for you. He was not deterred for a moment, it sounds like. He he is a strong man of faith. You know, he read over in Ezekiel where God took Ezekiel to this valley. And in the valley, there was this 
big emptiness of dry balls. The valley was filled with dry balls. And God began to speak to him, and he said, Can these bones live again? And Ezekiel, he replied to the Lord, he said, Well, you know, Lord. And God said to Ezekiel, he said, Prophesy, son of man. And so Ezekiel began to prophesy to him, and the bones became together and began to have flesh come over and come back to life. He read that and believed that he could prophesy life over me. And even though it looked like I was dead and I was bones because that's what it looked like. You know, if you just see a picture of me today, I'm 190 pounds, 5'11". You know, at that time, I had gotten down to 140 pounds. And I looked like walking death. And so that valley of dry bones, that's what I looked like walking around. And he just, he believed that that prophecy that God had with Ezekiel, he could apply that to my life. And so he began to call that out in me and stand in the gap for me when nobody else could. Him and my mother stood in the gap for me. Uh, and they believed in the words that they had received over me, that there was a purpose for my life. You know, now looking back, we can see the reason that I had the fights that I had is because I got this message that not a lot of people have that I can take to people who are in this situation and pull them out, and then they can take that message to other people. We can turn this world around. Uh, Lisa, you're a filmmaker. Uh, tell me about this uh, this documentary, uh, Hope Has a Name. This is this documentary is about Brandon's story, is it not? Uh, it's Brandon's story is actually included in the documentary. My husband and I uh, filmed Hope Has a Name. We released it um, 2017, and it's um, about women around the world who are doing what Brandon's doing as far as bringing hope to hopeless situations. Some of them live in the Congo, um, Mozambique, Africa, One lives in a closed nation. We can't even show her face or tell the nation uh, that she lives in because she'll be killed. But what sparked this story was um, Mary Lanier. She was an older lady in her 80s that lived on the campus at Dunklin Memorial. And Brandon and the men were allowed to go by her house. They weren't allowed to have television, Internet, radios, any, any communication on the outside as they go through the program. But they could go by her house and talk to her, and she would play songs for them. And so when we got to come for family day, we met her. We got to go to her house, and I, we just marveled watching these grown men, some of them, you know, hardened criminals, gang members, some of the worst cases you can imagine, filter into this woman's house, stand, standing room only, and kiss her when they walk in on the forehead, kiss her when they leave, and then as she would begin to talk to them, and she would share hope and love with them. They would cry. And I just sat there watching, my husband and watching these grown men crying. And we said, this woman is really doing something. And nobody knows her name or who she is or, or where she's from. And here she is kind of secretly ministering um, to all these men. And that sparked an idea that there's women around the world that are doing similar things that people, they don't have a big platform or a big name, but they're just bringing hope. And they're not doing it for money or fame. Um, we have one of the women uh, in China that takes in uh, children who are blind and deaf and can't walk or have Down syndrome, children that nobody else wants. She brings them into her home and raises them. Brandon, did you meet this woman while you were at Dunklin? Uh, yes, I did. She absolutely impacted me. And there were times when the program had gotten very tough and uh so tough that I was I was actually like, you know what, I think that I'll just take prison over this because some of the stuff that I was dealing with was very emotional, very painful, and it was tough. You know, and I was having, to, it, there was a second part of the program they had, there was uh, family recovery, so my wife would come out and we would, we would work on our marriage together at the same time. 
whenever I felt like I was ready to quit, I would go by Miss Mary's house, and she would just love on me. And it's a men's program, so in a men's program, you got to be tough with them. you got to consult them. you got to be hard uh, in a lot of areas in order to get people to face issues that they don't want to deal with. So I had that all the time from the men's program, but the part that was lacking was the compassion and the love. And when I would go around to her house, she would love on me, and she would pull up pictures of my family and show them to me. And that would give me hope and a reason to keep trying when I felt like quitting. And what what were these songs that she was playing? They were Christian songs, you know. Uh, she played stuff from like Bethel, um, Need to Breathe, uh, just a lot of the, the popular uh, Christian songs that would minister to these guys. And, you know, they would call out. She was like, my husband called her a, a, what she a, a VJ. <laughs> and uh, here she was, you know, 80 years old and in this chair, and she would just get on her little computer and just pull up these songs for these guys and let them listen to them. And they would listen, and she'd listen with them, and they would just cry as the song would, um, you know, really touch their emotions and, and speak to them. These were like hardened, hardened criminals, some of them gang members, in the presence of this 80-year-old woman, and she's having this yes. effect upon them. Yes, like, like it, unbelievable. That, and that's really what struck us. And my son had told us about her. He, he, when we call, he said, you got, when you come see me, you have to come see Miss Mary. And I'm like, who is this Miss Mary? And we went by her house, and I just sat there. And, yeah, and you'd see these guys lining the walls, literally a little two-bedroom cottage that was not very big. And these guys would crowd in their standing room only, sit around on the floor, on the furniture, and then stand um, when there was no place left to sit just to be with her. And I don't know how to explain to you how someone can just release the love of God to, the, to, to a point where you can actually feel it in the room. Hmm. But that's what was happening, and it was affecting these men. And so she became the inspiration for you to make this documentary. So you started to look for other women. How did you find these yes. other women around the world? Well, there was one other woman we were working with um, in Bartow, Florida. And I, when I describe her, I say she's a skinny white girl that was going into a um, impoverished area that was crime infested and just going in and loving on these kids who were being neglected and overlooked in the, in the projects. So we went out, my husband and I, and, um, we did a, like a outreach where we just brought in a bunch of food and began to feed them and just, you know, not force religion on them, but just be there and, and give them food and ask them if they need prayer for anything. And I just watched her going in. She'd been going into this place for 14 years, practically alone. Um, and I'm thinking, here she is going in by herself, day after day, week after week. She didn't have a, a big church supporting her, but she's just going, trying to make a difference. And actually, she was. Crime started dropping. The, the um, housing authority gave her a building to set up and begin to hold classes for these kids and after-school care. So the combination of Miss Mary and this woman doing this really sparked this idea for my husband and I to make a movie about other women. And then, yes, God led us to the other women. What was the girl's name in Bartow? Oh, the girl's name in Bartow is Jessica Goodman. Jessica Goodman. Yes. And, again, the uh, the film, the documentary is Hope Has a Name. Is this a documentary or a docudrama? It's a documentary. Okay. So the actual... We actually went around the world filming it. China, um, Congo, Mozambique, Mississippi. Mississippi. So they sound like 
Mother Teresa's. They are. Actually, some of them were described as modern-day Mother Teresa's. Heidi Baker is somebody that actually is called a uh, modern-day Mother Teresa. She's in the film. She feeds, I think, about 20,000 people a day now. Um, and, you know, her, her ministry is in, like, 57 nations, I think, now. How do people get to see uh, Hope Has a Name? They can go to hopehasanamemovie.com. And you can do a digital download or purchase a DVD. You can purchase it off of Amazon. Um, we've just been picked up by a distributor, and they'll be offering it as well. And uh, if, if uh, church groups want to show it, there's a license um, on the website that they can get a church license? Yes. yes, they can get a screening license, a public viewing license um, on the website. And we'd love for churches and public groups to to screen it, and where possible, um, we try to go and be there when they screen it to answer questions and, and just be a part of the event. And again, the website? It's uh, hopehasanamemovie.com. Hopehasanamemovie.com. Hope yes. has a movie, sorry, hopehasanamemovie.com. Uh, so, Brandon, are you now... Working with uh, with other addicts, or you, you, I know you're you're doing a lot of speaking. Um, on the local level, uh, I, I work with some recovering addicts here in the church. Um, I just got an invitation to go speak at one of the camps where I can, I'm going to go share my story. One of the camps that was offspring of Dunklin. Um, I've been invited to come back down to Dunklin and and speak there. So anytime I get an opportunity to do that. Uh, that's, that's what I'm doing is trying to bring hope to addicts. But on a local level, I get to live with some of these guys, and seeing some of the transformations in our local church is, is just amazing. And, uh, Lisa, I mean, you and your husband, you obviously you, you're, you're pastors at this at this church, but how else has this changed your life? Well, <laughs> I, I, I just lost my breath for a second. It has totally changed my life. It helped Watching Brandon's struggle has given me such compassion for other addicts. You, you don't look at them the same because I realize that is somebody's son. You know, when Brandon would look at me and he'd say, Mom, I'm just a junkie, it would break my heart. And I would say, I know what my eyes were telling me. You know, the fact was he was a junkie. But the truth was he was my son, and he was called to be much more than that. So I have such compassion for people with addiction, for their families, and I have such a greater understanding of the love, mercy, and grace of God than I have ever had because I watched my son cry out to God for help but yet be bound by this drug and couldn't get free. And other people would write him off and say, you know, he just doesn't want to be free or, you know, all the, the um, things that people say. But having walked through it, I have so much more compassion. I have so much greater, I have a greater love for God because of what he's done for our family, the mercy has shown us. All right. Uh, just, Lisa, sorry, I'm Brandon, sorry. we will pick this yeah, up on I the other side. I something. You were asking about me uh, helping with the local people. Let's, let's pick, let's, that, sorry, Brandon, let's pick this up on the other side. We're just going to go to a break, and we will get right back to that. Stay with us. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarah. Still looking for some miracle stories. If you've been healed or witnessed a healing, 
through supernatural intervention. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. Don't be shy. You're among friends. Toll free from out of town. one 740 4740-1866-740-4740. Brandon, I interrupted you. You, I, I'd asked you, uh, had you been working with uh, addicts in your area, and um, you wanted to uh, to, to uh, yes. tell me a story. Yes, one guy very near and dear to my heart came to mind uh, just now after we got done talking about that, and uh, his name is John Swopes. John Swopes walked into our church about four years ago by accident. He thought it was an AA meeting. We were having class because we have uh, a school called Cornerstone School of Supernatural Ministry. And uh, we were having class that night, and I was in there, and he walked in. He saw that it wasn't an AA meeting, so he quickly ducked out. Now, John is this big guy. He's like six foot three, big red beard, tattoos everywhere, kind of scary-looking guy. And, like, I felt immediately like, hey, I need to go talk to that guy. So I jumped up and chased him out into the parking lot, and he's like, man, I you know, I just got released from detox. I'm looking for AA. And so I just began to share my story with him. Uh, he came in and just has joined the family, and today, today marks four years exactly he's been clean and sober. And then my dad just walked in the room and, and reminded me that also I'm going to Serbia uh, in February to do a crusade. I just got back from Serbia. I'm going back to do a crusade for the Roma people who have a real problem right now. Uh, with drug addiction, and so they're putting together a big deal where I'm going to go speak uh, to the nation, basically. In Serbia? Yes. Interesting. Uh, so what is going on with the Roma people? Uh, they have an, an opioid uh, issue there as well? You know, drugs are cross-cultural. You know, it's not just us who are struggling with addiction. Different nations are struggling with it. They're, they're also struggling with addiction. I don't know for sure if it's opiates or if it's another type of substance. But one of the head pastors uh, of the region or of the nation there, of the Roma people, um, while I was there this last time on a mission trip, he said, man, your story has really impacted me and my church. He says, if you'll come back in February, he says, I'll have a crusade put together because our people need to hear your story because there's so many people who are bound by addiction in this nation. Uh, so he didn't identify exactly what the substance was, but that there was an issue with abuse. Are there similarities between the AA program? Because it, it, it is sort of faith-based, is it not, AA? Yes. Well, you have they to give up to a higher power, the idea that you have to, to give up to a higher yeah. power. Yeah. So there is that, and they don't really define it. Um, I do believe in a lot of the steps, but I don't, uh, I don't want to speak negatively because they really do a lot of good for a lot of people. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about AA uh, at all. I believe in the program. It's, it's a little different than, than what I teach and, and what Dunklin teaches because we teach in total regeneration uh, and recovery, whereas at AA, you know, I'm an alcoholic. I'm always an alcoholic. Right, right. Now, this this program at, at uh, Dunklin, is this something that anyone can be trained so that they could start their own center, or do these people have... You know, medical degrees, or, or what? I mean, what is the what are sort of the the skill sets or the prerequisites? Uh, well, first off, you got to go through the program, whether you got an addiction or not. So, if you want to be a counselor there, you have to go through the full blown program, and then uh, a lot of the staff goes goes on to get counseling degrees on top of that. Um, but typically, it's a three year study of ministry internship before you're actually on staff there. So you do one year of the program, then you do two years of training, 
with college on top of that before you're ever qualified to lead it at that, at that camp. And what is the success rate? You know, uh, I have this saying that 70% of statistics are made up on the spot. So it would be really <laughs> hard to quantify, <laughs> really, really hard to quantify, uh, what, what the exact, uh, statistic would be on that. But, uh, my experience has been is, is considerably higher than, than what I've witnessed outside of the program. You know, I think it'd be safe to say that probably five out of ten guys who go through actually stick through it and, and, and uh, walk it out. Lisa, did you go through the program? Um, I went through a version of it um, after Brandon came out of Regeneration. He actually took our entire family through what we call inner healing, um, which the portion of it that we went through was based on um, – a model that Pastors Terrell and Margie Rowland wrote and constructed. They, they run an inner healing class down there as well. So we went through that portion of it as a family, and then we, we take our leadership and our church through it. And then we now are getting calls from people with addiction, different types of addiction or trauma um, that want to sit down and go through the program with us here. And, and it's funny because I was just in Cancun, and uh, while I was down there, I came across the psychologist, and she was talking to me, and she's in Cancun, so she's cutting loose a little bit, and I just started talking to her about inner healing, and kind of was doing inner healing on her, and she just started crying, and she's like, man, she's like, you know, how do you know these things, and, and so amazing, I was, for me, it was kind of like, wow, she's a psychologist, and this is this is impacting her. Uh, that's that's how amazing that it is, is because it cuts down to the roots and stuff. And she's like, wow, everybody needs to hear this. And that's from a doctor. Right. She wasn't a Christian. She had nothing to do with that, but it was, she was blown away by it. And and Lisa, when you and your fa- when your family went through it, was it as tough as it, as they say, as Brandon was explaining, going through that? It, it, it was very tough. Um, there was eight of us going through it once. Poor Brandon. He was leading it, and um, we were a hot mess. <laughs> um, as we're going through <laughs> a hot mess, okay. We were a hot mess because you know we were there was um, eight of us going through. He took his siblings through it and their uh, mates and um, his dad and myself. And so you know you're dealing with a lot of emotions, a lot of things you've buried. So you know there's a lot of crying and you know getting upset with each other easily. Still, I don't think it was as tough as what he went through because um, he was in um, a you know lockdown type situation with uh, day in and day out, no break type of thing uh, in your face constantly. So he took it probably a little easier on us, but um, it, it was, it was it's, you really have to look at your junk. <laughs> look at your junk. Right. Yep. <laughs> I like That's that. A technical term. <laughs> it is, yes, very scientific. We'll come back. Uh, one segment remains with uh, Lisa and Brandon Henderson. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, a few moments yet with Lisa and Brandon Henderson. And again, the, uh, the documentary, Hope Has a Name. And you can... Um, I guess you can order the DVD. You can get special licensing to, to show it at your local church. Hope has a name movie.com. Hope has a name movie.com. So you don't have to be an addict then, obviously, to go through this program. I mean, it, 
if let's say a person doesn't have any bad habits, they don't smoke, they don't drink, they eat right, they, you know, is there something there still for them? I mean, should everybody? Would you recommend everybody go through this program? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we all could benefit everybody, regardless of you. If you don't have a behavioral issue, there's a lot of people who don't, but there's still other things. You know, you may not have self confidence. You may not view yourself uh, the way that you should view yourself. You know, uh, the program will help deal with a lot of those lies and and break that stuff off of you and just give you freedom to be able to move in ways that you hadn't previously moved. There's a there's a girl who goes to our church um, named Amber. And she went through the program. She has no addictions, uh, no problems with any kind of behavioral issues. She did have a little bit of a lack of self-confidence. She went through the in social anxiety. She used to have real bad social anxiety. So she went through inner healing, and it's completely changed her life. You know, every time we talk about it, she stands up and testifies to other people. She's like, this changed my life. This gave me the boldness to do things that I couldn't do before and dealt with a lot of the underlying issues of why I didn't see myself uh, as valuable even though it didn't never come across in drug addiction, it never come across in, in you know, overeating or whatever you, know, you want to put your life as. But faith is central to it, right? Prayer is central. I mean, without that, it, the program is it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's right. There, there's two parts to the program. Uh, there's we, we, we call it a division of labor, and the division of labor is this. You cannot do God's part, and he won't do your part. So you have to work to go through it, but you have to have God to help you. And so that's where the prayer and faith come in. Hmm. See, I, I'm British raised Protestant. We have our own program. You take your feelings and you stuff them deep down inside and you say nothing until they become hard like a diamond. And that's it, basically. And then you live like that. That is, <laughs> that is the majority. I say that's the majority of the, you know, the Christian church. Yeah. And that yeah. is part of the reason that we go home and have these private struggles that we're afraid to talk about or, or to share, and we just, you know, we're taught to keep that under and keep it hidden, and, you know, on the inside, it's killing us. Right, right, because when you're British, you can't afford to be a hot mess. It's not allowed. <laughs> that, uh, so, I mean, do you have, this program seems like, you know, it could be the answer for so many people, and you have this opioid scourge raging across North America like a wildfire. It's just out of control. Uh, I mean, do you have the ear, ears of, of decision makers that they could, they could start, you know, instituting this in, you know, communities and, and lending a hand so that it could expand rapidly to meet this challenge? We're hoping to gain more ears through programs like this and, and other opportunities. We're trying to get on bigger platforms so that eventually we gain the ear of somebody who's going to make a big difference, somebody who has the power to change stuff and to implement some of this stuff. And uh, I think that we have plenty of people who are ready to help step in and start teaching it. Well, but we have to have somebody to help implement it. Uh, I mean, your president has the backing of, uh, you know, a huge proportion of the evangelical uh, movement in the United States. I don't know which denomination you are. It doesn't matter. But the point is, you know, they just he just made a major announcement about, uh, you know, declaring, you know, opioids uh, a, um, a national emergency and willing to put money where his mouth is and so forth. Uh, do you think you, this program might see some of that money? Do you, what do you hear? What do you know? Well, we don't know. Uh, that would be awesome if it could see some of this money. Um, 
we mentioned some of the, the contributors to writing some of the program that we use, which is Margie and Terrell Rowland, and they are very gifted at training people and would love to be able to go into communities and churches and train people in how to, in turn, lead this program. And correctional facilities. Uh, correctional. We had such um, success in the women's prison in Hernando uh, County, Florida, doing this program. It was unbelievable. And did the wardens take notice and notice a, a wholesale change in the behavior of these Yes, inmates? absolutely. The warden did. I don't know. I don't think he's still there. But, yes, they were um, complimenting and writing us and telling us that they were seeing a huge difference in the women and in their behavior after um, completing the 12-week sessions we did there. The name of the ministry, the Supernatural uh, Ministry. Cornerstone School of Supernatural Ministry. Right. School of Supernatural Ministry. That's that's an interesting title. Tell me more about that. Why the School of Supernatural Ministry? Well, we believe um, that as Christians we have the ability to do supernatural acts as Jesus did. Um, he said this. He said, "Greater the things I do, greater things will you do. We know that is um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we teach people about that, um, that that is for today. They do have the ability to pray for people and see people healed. They do have the ability to have a vision um, about their son or their loved one, um, you know, that, that God directs that vision and gives it to us. So we train people up to believe that they can lay hands on people as my husband in the hospital and even pray for people to come back from the dead. And, I mean, what do you hear on that score? I mean, I've heard about a book. I had a, I had a, a guest many years ago who wrote a book about resurrections taking place all over the world uh, in places like Africa and India. I mean, these were stories where you had recounted one about someone who had been brain dead for something like eight hours. There were stories like that. You know, people literally crawling out of their coffin at their own funeral. Uh, you know, obviously these were in developing countries. They weren't, uh, they didn't go undergo the embalming procedure and so forth. But just, what, are, are we in a new age of miracles? What's happening? I believe we are. I believe that that we are in an age of miracles and that we're going to see more signs, wonders, and miracles um, as we progress. We have friends that are in third world countries um, that have seen people be raised from the dead um, several days after being dead, um, many, many days, actually. Um, Smell bad. I mean, yeah, like smelling bad, rotting type thing. Like like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Oh, my Um, Lord. Just incredible um, testimonies of people being killed of leprosy, which we don't hear about ever in this country. But, um, you know, we're seeing more and more of that. And some of the people we run with um, are seeing some incredible stuff as well. And we've seen some pretty amazing things. We've seen people healed of cancer. We've um, documented, um, we've, my husband prayed for people in Clearwater, Florida, three different men documented with AIDS. Um, one of them had two weeks to live. Um, with a huge viral count of AIDS and tumors all in his body, completely healed. Um, and this has been documented. So, you know, we're seeing God do some amazing supernatural stuff. He's a supernatural God. Yes. Um, yes. The supernatural was here before the natural. It's it's more real than the natural. It was here first. Have any of these healings been documented on, I mean, you made a documentary about these remarkable women. How about a documentary on these supernatural healings? Is that in the works? 
Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, we've got a, a couple more, well, several more projects um, that we're planning to do. So, you know, that I would love to do something along those lines because we, we know some people who have seen some pretty incredible things that we would love to document. Yeah, because, uh, you know, people have faith, but then when it comes to this kind of stuff, you know, they're from Missouri, right? Show me. Right. So if you could take a camera over some of these developing countries and actually imagine capturing something like that on film or video, someone literally being resurrected from the dead. I'm not talking just, you know, a near-death experience. They they were they were gone for a couple minutes. We're talking, what was the term you used? Stinky dead or something? <laughs> rotten dead. Rotten dead. dead. Yeah. Really bad. Rotten dead, yeah. Oh, my Lord. I mean, that's a game changer. I don't care where you're from. You see something like that. That's absolutely. So, uh, w- what's next for you, Brandon? You're you're off to Serbia again. What else is going on? That's it, man. Uh, my mission is uh, just to carry hope everywhere. Besides Serbia, I'm also going to Brazil, so that is in the works, uh, and Kenya next year as well. Um, and anywhere in the U.S. or Canada that, that opens their doors, I'll be glad to come and share. You know, and I also want to say. To those who are listening before this winds down, if you're a family member of a drug addict, a wife, a mother, a husband, you are absolutely critical to them finding God and to them finding recovery. My mom, my dad, and my wife, Julie, stood in the gap for me like nobody else. When nobody else would, they hang, they, they would hang on. So if you're listening and you've got a family member out there, there is hope. Don't give up. That's the message I'm taking around the world. Not just to the addict, but to the families, to the people who feel like this is just absolutely hopeless. Um, so anywhere I get an opportunity to go, I'm going to go. And is there a number, uh, or do they reach you through the website? They can reach me at 321-307-5444. Do you want to give us that number again? Yes. 321-307-5444. If I don't pick up, please leave a message. And if they can't reach in there, they can go through um, our church website, uh, mythoughtlifechurch.com, through the Hope Has a Name movie website, or through the Cornerstone School of Supernatural Ministry website. So there's multiple ways to reach him. All right. Now, Brandon, silly question as we close out. It's going to sound like, I guess, but uh, here goes. I mean, because of your criminal record, are you, do you? is there any restriction on your travel? Can you come to Canada? I can come to Canada. I have a passport. That was one of the things I was super worried about, too. You know, my sisters were going on these mission trips when I was on house arrest, and uh, God was just like, you know what, I'm going to open those doors for you, too. And he actually allowed me to take a cruise that someone else bought for me while I was on felony probation and leave the country. Uh, when I got off probation, I sent in the application, got my uh, passport approved, and so now, you know, I've been to Serbia already. I'm going back. I just came back from Mexico. I've been all over the Caribbean, and, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to go to, uh, to Africa next year as well. So well, Canada is definitely an option. See, the Lord is the almighty hall monitor. You get a you get a hall pass. You can go anywhere. All access pass, even a, a, a felon. Wonderful. That's right. That's funny that you said that, Richard, because when Brandon was on house arrest and the girls were taking these mission trips and he was looking really sad, I felt like the Lord had me go to him and said, he said, Tell him that all it takes for him to go is for me to say he goes. Amazing. Amazing story. Both of you, thank you so much. It's a delight meeting you. Thank you for spending two hours with us. 
Thank you so much for having us. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Very powerful. All right. My thanks uh, to uh, Ian, Albert Vinzel, wherever you are, talking into a shoe somewhere, or maybe his lapel. I think he's a spy. Uh, Ryan, as always, thank you. Back next week with a brand new program. Hope you'll be along. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.